Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm going to share with you my life story. I'm not going to go into some of the details because I think they're just shameful to talk about. And by the way, if you're watching in the overflow room, we're glad you're, you're here. Um, but um, i never, never hidden my past. I have a horrible past. My um, kids know about my past. I told them my hope for you is that you will learn from me telling you how bad it really was, and you'll never, ever have to check it out to see if I'm telling the truth. So I've been very open with my kids. matter of fact, about two weeks ago, my daughter, who's uh, 16, our youngest child, uh, just got a driver's license. So if you see a, a gray Nissan Pathfinder coming down the road, just pull over. Just, <laughs> just get out of the way. Um, but I was talking about how my children, they know about my past, and we even joke around some about it, you know, and... She was studying for the driver's test, and, and Debbie was helping her, and I was in the room reading, and Debbie asked her a question, she'd answer it, and one of the questions was, if you get pulled over for DWI, what's part of the test for DWI? You have to, A, close your eyes and touch your nose with your finger, B, walk a straight line, C, take a breathalyzer test, or D, all of the above. And my sweet little 16-year-old daughter said, ask Dad, he knows. <laughs> So I, I have a past that, by God's grace, he saved me out of, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, I was born July the 29th, 1961. So yesterday was my 45th birthday. And um, thank you. I know that you were thinking early 30s, but I'm a, a little older. And I got saved at 19 in Jake's Motel Room 12. <clears throat> This is the actual key to the motel room. You see it on the screen. There's a close-up. Notice it says Jake's Motel is in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. This is the first sin I ever committed after I got saved. I stole the key, the motel key. <laughs> Actually, I didn't steal it. I was, was going to, but I got saved, so I thought I better not. So I went down and asked the hotel manager if I could buy it. He asked me why I wanted to buy it, the key, you know. And I told him what happened in the room, and he started crying. And said, you can keep the key. And uh, he also said, do you think if I go down there, there's some of that left? <laughs> and I said, it's right here. And shared with him about the Lord. But anyway, um, Jake's Motel was, it was a motel, not a hotel. Uh, it has no stars. Uh, they do, they did, however, provide pets. <laughs> Little black ones about that big. <laughs> It's, it's not in existence. We tried to get a shot of it for a video shot, and it's, it's uh, gone out of business. Surprise, surprise. But that's where I got saved. I was born in Marshall, Texas. My parents are actually here uh, this weekend for these services, and so if you'd like to meet them, if y'all stand, this is Gerald and Rosalie Morris. These are my parents. <clears throat> first house that they ever took me home to, I brought a picture of that. This was my first mansion that I lived in. This was a, a house behind the Kentucky Fried Chicken in Marshall, Texas. And that's how you told people how to get there. You, uh, you, we're, we live behind the Kentucky Fried Chicken. And then there, I have a picture of me at, at about two and a half years old. Isn't that a cute little boy? And that was in that house right there uh, in Marshall. Uh, I've told you a little bit about my father's side of the family, and, and my father's the first believer in his family. He um, came from a line of heathens, and he knows that. 
But he heard the gospel, I told you the story, through the screen door when he was 16 years old and accepted Christ. On my mother's side of the family, I've never told you about her side of the family. On her side of the family are church planters and missionaries. And um, so my grandfather, her father, was named Robert. Uh, He was shot and killed when she was 16 years old. Uh, But he and my grandmother started a church in their home, in their living room, called Trinity Baptist Church in El Dorado, Arkansas. That church started in my grandparents' home. By the way, if you don't know, Gateway started in my living room, in our living room. So I come from, on that side, a line that did that. And my, as I said, my grandfather was, was killed when my mother was 16 years old. I never met him. But they named me Robert to carry on the ministry, which he died before he carried out. Could, could carry it out. So that's my heritage. My great-grandfather was a missionary uh, to the Pawnee Indians. Before he was a missionary to the Pawnee Indians, he traveled with Pawnee Bill. If you remember Pawnee Bill and Buffalo Bill, they traveled and did the Wild West shows. And uh, if, you, if you go, I went this last week on Yahoo and typed in Pawnee Bill, and this is the first thing that came up. This is a book that my mother gave me. You can see the cover there uh, on the screen. And this is the uh, details, the Pawnee Bill Wild West shows. And uh, if you look down at the bottom, you see Alan Farnham. That is a, a descendant of Pawnee Bill. But photos, Harry Bach, that's my great-grandfather. And traveled with Pawnee Bill. Now, uh, before, when he was traveling Pawnee Bill, he was a part of the show, the Wild West show. And he was known, if you look here, that's, that's a good-looking guy there. I come from a whole family of good-looking people. <laughs> so we don't know what happened. But anyway, all the ancestors are good. But if you can look, barely you can see the writing under his name, uh, Buckskin Harry. And matter of fact, if you look at the type on the uh, right side, you see the first two letter, two words are Buckskin Harry. That was his stage show as he traveled Pawnee Bill. But he left Pawnee Bill uh, to become a missionary. And the next picture is a picture of him highlighted there on the right. And you see the uh, words we highlighted, Missionary Harry Buck. And he gave the rest of his life as a missionary to the Pawnee Indians and traveling and preaching. And actually uh, uh, shared Christ with Pawnee Bill. We think Pawnee Bill, except the Lord. Pawnee Bill loved him, gave him his blessing uh, to leave. Matter of fact, my grandfather, named Robert, that was Harry Bach's son, was out shooting buffalo and was gored by a buffalo. And Pawnee Bill saved his life and carried him back to the house. So that's kind of on on my mother's side of the family. Uh, if you go to the Pawnee Bill Museum in Pawnee, Oklahoma, you'll see his house. And right beside Pawnee Bill's house, you see a house with a plaque on it that said, This is the house that Pawnee built for his good friend and missionary, Harry Buck. And so that's my, on that side. My mother was reading a little devotional book when she was pregnant with me. And the week before I was born, all of the devotionals were about Samuel the prophet. And she began to feel that God was speaking something to her about me being in the ministry and me speaking for God and being named after her father. And so she picked up the little devotional book and took it to the hospital room with her when she went to uh, have me. And if you notice there, it says the Upper Room Daily Devotional Guide, July, August, 1961. This is the actual book. It's 45 years old now. And if you go to July 29th, uh, 1961, it's kind of interesting because it says Saturday, July 29th, which was yesterday was Saturday. If you read there the second paragraph, there is no surer way to determine that our children will walk in truth than to dedicate them to God before birth. 
This is what she was reading on the day I was born. And the second paragraph there says, Samuel was known as the prophet of the Lord, but before he was a godly man, he was the dedicated child of a devout mother. And then the thought for the day, see thought for the day there at the bottom of the page, back of godly men stand dedicated praying mothers. So she's responsible for a lot of the fruit that you get to eat uh, every week. She dedicated me to the Lord. Back then, 45 years ago, we didn't dedicate babies like we did today. And, but she just felt God speaking something to her. As a matter of fact, this is the phrase that came to her. She actually thought years later, this is actually what the book said. She thought it was in the book, but it was so strong. The phrase in her mind was, today a prophet is born, which shall preach to the nations. And so she held me in her arms and dedicated me to God to be a prophet. So that's the way I started. Now, after that, everything went kind of downhill. <laughs> I grew up really wanting acceptance and wanting to be accepted. I, I, don't, I don't know why I needed that so, so badly, but all of us seem to have iniquities, you know, in our lives that drive us towards something. And that's, that was kind of the drive in my life. We went to church. We went to church Sunday morning. We were Baptist. So we went Sunday night and Wednesday night as well. How many of you used to go to Wednesday night church, right? So we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Whenever it was open, we were there. And I remember the first time, for, for some reason that I ever noticed, I was eight years old. They were serving refreshments in church. And we know it now as communion, yeah. And so I, I thought, man, what a great idea. You know, because when you're eight years old, you actually believe if you don't get something to eat soon, you're going to die, you know. And I thought, man, the pastor's really hearing God, you know. So here comes some refreshments. And this little tray came down the row. And I was so excited. I looked in. It looked like chiclets, you know, just little pieces of bread. Remember the little white square ones? I thought, hey, they're small, but 10 or 12 were tied me over, you know. So I went to grab some. And my dad said, you can't have those. And I said, why can't I have those? He said, because you're not a Christian yet. And I kind of sold up. I didn't want anyway. Little looked like somebody stepped on it. You know, I'm just you know. And then another tray came, grape juice. I love grape juice. So I went to get some grape juice. And my dad said, "You can't have that yet." And I said, "Why can't I have that?" He said, "Because you're not a Christian yet." Well, what was my next question? How do you become a Christian? <laughs> I'm ready to sign it. If you get refreshments, if you're a Christian, and you don't, if you're not, I want to be a Christian. You know. And he said, well, we'll have the pastor come over and talk to you after church. Well, it's too late then. The grape juice was three rows back. <laughs> so the pastor came over and talked to me. And, and let me explain something to you. I was eight years old. I wasn't above average intelligence, but I wasn't below average intelligence. I'm just a normal eight-year-old. And the pastor, I'm sure, did a great job of sharing Christ with me. But let me just say the bottom line. I'm the bottom line person even then. And so I kind of heard. This is kind of what he said. If you ask Jesus into your heart, you'll go to heaven when you die. If you don't ask Jesus in your heart, you're going to burn in hell. Would you like to ask Jesus into your heart? Okay. Again, I got kind of, I'm not stupid, I'm just eight. I caught it, you understand? And so I say, yes, I would like to ask Jesus into my heart. The only problem is I did not get saved that day. Although I prayed a prayer, I did not get saved. The reason I didn't get saved is because I was not drawn by the Holy Spirit. I was drawn by the grape juice. And so I went down the next week, put my best suit on, went down, made my public profession of faith. 
and uh, they gave me a card to fill out. I was so pleased that I could write now, I, and I would fill it out myself. I'll do it, thank you. And I put my name and address and all that stuff, and then I um, uh, down at the bottom had things you can check. And I thought, man, if I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to be a good Christian. So I checked everything on the card. It said, accepts Christ as Savior, check. Baptism, check. Rededicates life to Christ, check. <laughs> Letter. Letter. You remember how many of you remember letter? You know, move, move my letter, you know. And I thought, well, I don't know what kind of letter they want me to write. Probably a recommendation letter so that other eight-year-olds will, can read it and join the church too. So I'll write them a letter. I, I check, check that. RAs, GAs, WMU, Women's Bible Study. I joined everything on the card. Joined everything. But I didn't get saved. Many, many people have an experience like this growing up. Because you don't get saved simply by praying a prayer. You get saved by praying a prayer and believing in your heart. By giving control of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me explain something. People say, well, I believe. Let me tell you something. The devil believes, but he's not saved. He actually believes more than you. (laughs) He's never had a doubt. Never. But he's not saved. Why? Because he will not submit his will to the Lordship of Christ. And so I grew up, again, trying to find acceptance, but also trying to find happiness. And I did all sorts of things growing up. I've done just about everything that you can imagine. Every sport, every event, everything you think of. But I never was good in any of them enough to stick around. And I quit just about everything I ever started. I started uh, doing ventriloquism when I was uh, real young. And when I was about 12 years old, I entertained about 1,200 people and then quit. You know, I'd, I'd reach the top of the pinnacle of the career, you know, and so quit that. And then I started playing drums. And then I, uh, I was asked to play for the youth group, even though I wasn't even in youth yet. I was still in elementary school. And I was traveling with the church youth group playing drums. And then when I started in the band, they said, well, obviously you're going to play drums. I said, I don't want to play drums. I want to play trombone, which made no sense at all. And they said, well, you can't play trombone. You never even picked one up. And I said, well, tryouts are in a week, and if I can become first chair trombone, can I play trombone? The man director said, yeah, but if not, you need to play the drums. So I learned that week to play the trombone and tried out and made first chair. Well, as soon as I made first chair, I said, I don't want to play trombone anymore. I want to play saxophone. He said, you can't play saxophone. I said, well, if I can try out and make first chair, you know, will you let me? He said, yeah, you, you can do that because we're a little short in that section. We've got plenty of trombones. So I picked up the saxophone, learned how to play it, and tried out a week later and made first chair. And then quit the band. Uh, it just, there was no challenge. You see what I'm saying to me anymore. And I was looking for happiness. Uh, I quit the band, joined the basketball team, made first team, quit the basketball team. Later in high school, went out for the track team, became the fastest man on the track team, ran the fastest 100-yard dash and the fastest 220 and quit the track team. Nothing held my attention. I was looking for something in life by doing all these things. I went out for drama uh, in 10th grade. I made the drama team, went to state, one state, quit drama. There was just nothing that would, and let me explain something to you. I'm not saying I succeeded at everything I did. I failed at everything I did because I quit. And I, every time I would do something, I, in me there was a fear of failure. If I stick with this, they're going to find out that I'm not that good. <laughs> I was good enough to fool them for a week, but I'm not that good. So that's why I quit everything. That was my life, and I kept looking for acceptance. Well, in junior high, I fell in with a crowd that uh, were rough and tough and looked cool to me, and they smoked and drank and did drugs. And I started smoking when I was in junior high, uh, drank a little bit, but didn't drink that much because I really didn't like it. But when I found marijuana, I liked it. And I started smoking marijuana when I was 13 years old. 
And my life started going really downhill then because I became very lethargic. When you, when you get on drugs, you, you don't care. You don't care anymore. And I didn't care. And the, here's the problem with getting high. If you ever get high, you're going to get low again. You need to understand that. that that's just, if you get high, at some point you're going to come down. Here's the problem. You're going to be lower than when you started. And next time you get high, you need to get higher than you were. And so even as a young 14, 15, 16-year-old young man, I started trying different drugs to get higher, cocaine, uh, methamphetamine, speed, just doing anything I could to keep that feeling. And I couldn't keep that feeling. During this time, I was going to church. I was going to church every weekend, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I was a part of the youth groups. I went on all the youth retreats, all the youth camps, you know. Every, I remember every year at youth camp, uh, and how many of you have ever been on a youth, youth camp or youth retreat? Okay. What, what's the last night? It's get right with God night, right? Everybody gets ready. We're going to go win our school. Nothing changes, you know. Uh, I called it boohoo night. I don't know. I was just real disrespectful. Hey, when's boohoo night? Thursday night? Okay, boohoo night's Thursday night, you know. And we'd all boohoo and we'd get right with God. And we had the greatest youth pastor in the world because he came up with all these great ideas for boohoo night, you know. All these things that you do, you know. And, uh, one of them was to go out in the woods and get a stick. And then meet at the bonfire, and then we're going to all throw our sticks in the bonfire and say, this is my life for God, you know, I'm going to burn up for God. And, um, you know, so we all go out in the woods, we come back, and I, everyone goes up, this is my life for God, they throw their stick in the fire. You know, now, things always went wrong for me. And so I got my stick, I went up, and I said, this is my life for God, and I threw it in the fire, and it hit another stick and rolled out into the lake. Now... In every youth group, there is what I call a commentator, a person who kind of gives you the blow-by-blow commentation, you know, what's going on. And so I throw my stick, it hits this, rolls down the hill, it's in the lake, and this guy says, hey, your stick fell out of the fire. Oh, it's rolling down the, it's in the lake, Robert. Your stick's in the, in the lake, Robert. It's not in the fire anymore, you know. And I, Thanks, you know. So... I, I go down, I get my stick out of the lake, I come back, so this time I'm going to settle in there. I don't want to take the chance of doing it again, so I, I kind of set this my life for God, you know, and I settle in the fire. Well, for some reason, it just seemed prevalent where my stick was compared to all those sticks thrown, because everybody saw me do it twice and set it down, and you could just see my stick. And about two hours later, everybody's stick's burning, the whole thing's almost gone. My stick's still there. Hadn't burned. Hadn't burned an, an inch, you know. And I know now what happened. I picked up a piece of petrified wood. And the commentator, you know, is, your stick's not burning. Did you see that, Robert? Robert's stick's not burning. Y'all, y'all know what's wrong with Robert's stick? I think you got a piece of petrified wood, Robert, because it's not burning, you know. So that's, thanks. You know, so anyway, that was this guy. So the next year, we all had Dairy Queen banana split boats, you know. You remember the, the little yellow thing? You get a banana split in from Dairy Queen. And uh, he put a candle and wax in the bottom. And we were to light him. And we walked down to the lake. This, this is my life for God. You know, here I'm walking down the lake. Well, my candle keeps going out. And guess who's behind me in line? Yeah, the commentator. Hey, your, your candle went out. Hey, everybody stop. Robert's candle went out. Y'all stop. We're going to have to light Robert's candle. Robert's candle keeps going out. So I, you know, I light my candle. It goes out. Walking along, it goes out again. I light my candle. Finally, I just pulled my cigarette lighter out and held it up. I'm walking down the lake. It's my life for God. 
And we get down to the lake. I pull this through. I pull my switchblade knife out that I got in Mexico on a youth mission trip. <laughs> and I whittle it some so it'll at least stay lit. Put it back in. Light it with my cigarette lighter, you know. This is my life for God, you know. So everybody goes down. They put their little banana split boat in the, in the lake and push it off, you know. And I'd already noticed that all the boats were kind of going this way across the lake. And across the lake was a cross that the youth pastor had lit up, you know. And all the boats were heading toward the cross. So I'm thinking, you know, make sure now, because the commentator, you know, get your boat right. Do this thing right, you know. Don't, and I'm thinking, don't dip it and sink your boat, you know. And so I'm, I do everything I can, but I'm trying to get it to kind of catch the other boat. So I kind of push it like this. Well, it turns and it starts going this way, you know. And all the boats are going toward the cross, set my boat in. As soon as I did it, you know, like this, the commentator, who's always right behind me for some reason, says, Oh, your boat's going the wrong way, Robert. Look, your boat. And then it keeps going. I mean, it's just going. There's 50 boats, 100 boats going this way. You know, my boat's going out. And the guy's saying, Hey, your boat's going the other way, Robert. All the boats are going toward the cross, but your boat's not going toward the cross, Robert, you know. You know, I so... Then, I'm telling you the truth now, then the candle fell over, <laughs> caught my boat on fire, and it burned and sank. <laughs> and the commentator says, oh, wait, Robert, look, your candle, oh, your boat's on, oh, it's sunk. It's sunk. Your boat burned and sunk, Robert. Yeah, I know, I know. So that was my life growing up. It just, all these things, I'm thinking, man, what is wrong with me? You know, why can't I ever do anything right? And so that's my life. Well, when I'm 16 years old, still doing drugs, going to church every week, an evangelist came to our church named Billy Foote. Billy Foote was the first song leader for James Robinson. And he's the one that introduced Debbie and me to James and Betty when we were still teenagers, actually. And so uh, Billy comes to church and does a youth revival. So I go down and rededicate my life again. There's no telling me. I got saved three or four times growing up. got saved three times in a Billy Graham crusade one week, you know. Rededicated a hundred times. So I go down to rededicate again. I'm going to get right with God. And the evangelist saw something in me. Saw the call of God on my life, I guess. And so he, he said, why don't you go with me next week? And I'm doing a revival. And he used to do youth fellowships, do funny stuff. And we'll do a funny skit afterwards, and then you can share your testimony. And so I said, yeah, I'll do that. So I went. We did a little skit. I shared my testimony. This is the testimony I shared. I want you to see if you've ever heard a testimony like this. I got saved, but I didn't change. And, and I didn't read my Bible, and so I didn't grow, and, and uh, I, I fell away, and, and now and I got involved in all this stuff, and now I've rededicated my life, and everything's fine. You ever heard a testimony like that? There's only one problem with that testimony. It's not in the Bible. Don't ever start a testimony with these words, I got saved and I didn't change. Let me tell you why that's an unbiblical testimony. The responsibility for change is not on you. The responsibility to receive is on you. And when you receive the grace of God, the grace of God begins to work in your life. Yes, we have to grow. Yes, we have to read the Word and learn and be discipled. Yeah, I believe in all of that. But as far as a change in our hearts, we can't do that. That is miraculous. Only God can do that. I went through a lot of things from my past this week praying about what I was 
supposed to share it again. I'm telling you, I'm not sharing most of the shameful things from my past. But there are a few things I told God I didn't want to share. This is one of them. I went that night. I shared my testimony. You know, I did a youth uh, fellowship, shared my testimony. And when I left the church, I went and got high. Because nothing had changed in my heart. And I didn't know how to change. And I, so I started traveling with this youth evangelist when I was 16 years old and uh, speaking in churches and doing youth revivals and doing, still doing drugs. During that time, I saw the prettiest girl I'd ever seen in my life. Because she was not only pretty on the outside, she was pretty on the inside. And I never met a girl like that. And she was pure. And I knew she was pure. And young ladies, if you want to know what will attract a godly man to you, a man that will care for you and love you and lay his life down for you, it's purity. It is purity. The very thing the world tells you to give him so you can keep him will be the very thing that will cause you to lose him. Because a man will not and cannot love you if he doesn't respect you. You have to have respect if you're going to love a person. And, and if you've fallen, the great thing is grace. You can start over and be just as pure if you really repent and don't continue in it. Well, she was pure, and I knew she was pure. So I started dating Debbie uh, as a junior in high school. We dated junior, senior year in high school and, after, and first year of college and then got married, dated three years. During this time, I'm traveling and speaking, but I'm still getting high. I'm still being immoral. Debbie knows that now. She didn't know it then. I was living a double life. I was speaking in churches and still doing sin. And eventually, I kind of gradually, over that three-year period, came out of that lifestyle. But nothing changed in my heart. That's the problem. And so here I am traveling and speaking. Debbie and I got married, and we'd been married for about nine months. I preached a message in a church called the Wheat and the Tares. During that message, I said, many of you, here's the problem with the wheat and the tares. They look exactly the same on the outside, but when you break them open, the tares is empty on the inside. I preached that message out of Matthew 13. I went to, got in the car, and I said to Debbie when I got in the car, if I believe everything I said today, I'm not saved. And this sweet little non-confrontive woman said to me, then you're not saved. And I got on a plane the next day and flew to Lexington, Kentucky, drove over to Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, to meet this evangelist who was mentoring me in the ministry. And he checked into room 13, and I checked into room 12. And in that room, the conviction of the Holy Spirit got so strong. And I said to the Lord, I quit. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm a hypocrite. I'm speaking in churches, but I've got this lifestyle that, that's not right. And I don't know what to do. I quit. I quit. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm a hypocrite. And then I began to get convicted for my life. And I remember saying these words to God. God, if there's anyone who deserves to go to hell, it's me. Now, here's another thing that I didn't, really, didn't want to tell you from my past. I smoked my first cigarette behind the church sanctuary. I smoked my first marijuana joint between the Sunday school classrooms, between the Sunday school buildings out back. I stole my first car during choir practice. And the first time I was immoral with a girl was in a church Sunday school room. And I remembered all of that, and I said, God... There are sinners out there, but I did it in your house. So if anyone deserves to go to hell, it's me. And I know that. And that conviction was so strong on me, but with that conviction came a hope. And I started saying, God, you can change me, can't you? 
You can change me. And God, please, come into my life and change me. I don't want to live like this anymore. And God, I, here's what I said. God, I won't live. From now on, I'm not going to live for me anymore. I've lived my whole life to please me. I'm not going to live for me anymore. From now on, every day that I live, I'm going to live to please you. And I give you everything. And I don't know about saved, rededicated. I don't know about that. I just know I'm giving you my life today. And when I did that, it was like God reached down and picked up a little boy and held me up like this and said, You're my child from now on. From now on, you're my child. And the peace and the joy that flooded over me. I knew I was saved. I knew I had finally experienced what every person was talking about, what I'd been looking for my whole life. Thank you. I got so excited. And I called Debbie on the phone. I said, I just got saved. She got excited with me. Uh, got off the phone. And when she got hung up the phone, my parents called her because I was out of town to check on her. And said, how are you doing? She said, Robert just called and he just got saved. And I mean he's saved. He's different. You can hear it in his voice. He has totally changed. And I was walking around in this <clears throat> motel room like this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you. And I had my hands up like I didn't know it was wrong until I went back to church. And they told me, don't feel the same. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I was so excited. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, God. I was just walking back and forth. And I remember telling the Lord, I said, God, I'll do anything you want me to do. Except preach. Anything at all, Lord. Anything, you just name it. I mean anything except preach. Anything, God, you just name it. Now, let me tell you why I was saying that. I was saying that because my, I was a hypocrite. And I knew I was a hypocrite. And I put on a face and I'd stood in front of people and it wasn't in my life. And the reason I was saying that was because I had used preaching to draw attention to myself. And I didn't want to do that ever again. So that was, it was pure, it was a pure motive in my heart. I said, God, I'll do anything you want to do, but I don't want to preach again. I just don't want to do that, but I'll do anything else you want me to do. You just tell me. And the Lord said to me, first thing I ever heard the Lord say after I got saved, what if I want you to preach? I said, if you want me to preach, you'll have to make it clear as a bell. And the phone rang. <clears throat> and it was my parents on the phone. And they said, we just talked to Debbie. We're so proud of you. We heard you got saved. And your mother's on the other phone, and she wants to tell you something. And my mother, for the first time in my life, told me about this little book. And she said, Robert, I dedicated you to the Lord on the day you were born to be a prophet. And she said to me on the phone, today, a prophet is born, which shall preach to the nations. And the Lord said to me, this is the second thing I ever heard the Lord say, now, I want you to preach. Now, I want you to preach. And so I went next door to the evangelist and I said to him, I went next door to the evangelist and I said, I got saved. I'm saved. Well, he could see it. It was all over me. You know, it was just, I said, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. He said to me, you know what? I think you're supposed to preach tonight. So I went and I shared with these people, big crowd of people. I said to him, listen, I know what it's like to be saved. Finally, I know what it's like. I told him my testimony and I said, a lot of you here have gone to church your whole life and some of you are leaders and you've never been saved and you've got to be saved tonight. And gave the invitation. 362 people got saved. I've been saved 45 minutes. I was a great preacher. <laughs> but it was real. It was genuine. I was telling them, I've experienced it. Let me tell you something. 25 years later, it's still real to me. Jake's Motel, Room 12. And you can have a Room 12 experience. Today, right now, today, all you got to do is say, God, I'm sick of it. I'm tired of living my life for me.
And from now on, I'm going to live my life for you. And I'm telling you, you will experience God reaching down and picking you up and saying, from now on, you're my child. You're my child. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. You are not here by accident. You're not here by accident. Even if you're in the overflow room because we've got so many people here, you're not here by accident. You're here because God loves you. And let me tell you something else. You're here because the Holy Spirit has been drawing you. People have been praying for you. God doesn't want to save you to ruin your life. God wants to save you to bless your life. To not only give you eternal life in heaven when you die, but to give you abundant life here on this earth. Your way has not been working. You know that. And I'm telling you, you say, maybe you've walked out many times. Maybe, you just, maybe your testimony is very similar to mine. But you've got to give Him control of your life. You've got to die so that you can live. You've got to die to self so that Jesus can live through you. And you can do that right now. No one's looking around. I'm the only one looking. I'm, I'm going to ask you to just be honest with me and with God. How many of you here would just, just by lifting your hand in just a moment, would just simply be honest to say, Robert, I really truly don't know if I died today, if I'd go to heaven or not. I know God loves me. I know Jesus died for me. I relate to a lot of things in your testimony. I understand that. But to be honest with you and with God, if I died today... I'm not sure that I go to heaven. Would you just put your hand up where I can see it? Put it way up high where I can see it. Please don't be embarrassed about this. Put it up. This is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Put it way up high. That's me. That's me as a grown man, successful in business or whatever, failed in my marriage, whatever it is. I don't know if I die to go to heaven. And I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. Put your hand way up high. God bless you. You can put your hands down. You, don't, you, you can change it right now. You don't have to wait. You can change it right now. I want to lead you in in a prayer. Right where you're seated, as I pray out loud, I want you to just pray this in your heart. Just tell God this in your heart right now. Here's what I want you to tell. Just pray this. If that's you, I want you to pray this in your heart right now. Let's settle it today. Say this to God. Dear God, just tell Him that in your heart. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. And I receive you today as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me today. Now, no one's looking around. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer and you really meant business with God, I want you to put your hand back up. Put it way up high. You ought to be proud to put it up. You ought to be proud to put it up. I prayed that prayer and I really meant it. You sense the the peace, the joy? It's settled. It's done. It's done. You never have to doubt it again. And you can put your hands down. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. And that is in just a moment I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand. As soon as we stand, I want to ask, I'm asking you, if you prayed that prayer and you gave your life to the Lord, I'm asking you to step out and come to the front and just stand at the altar here facing me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to pray with you again. By your coming, you're declaring to everyone, this is it. I'm, I'm giving my life to God today. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before people, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. By your coming, that's a confession of your faith. That's what I'm asking you to do. So make up your mind right now. You're not going to be the only one. There's going to be a lot of people down here. But you ought to want to be the first one down here. This is it. This, thank you, God, for what you just did in my heart. So I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to stand. As soon as we stand up, it's real easy. You just stand up and step out and come. And come to the altar, standing here at the altar, facing me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd give courage to every person that needs to come. Even those watching 
uh, in the overflow room. I pray, God, if they prayed that prayer, they'll come. Make a public profession of their faith. In Jesus' name, amen.